All right, everybody. It is Thursday, August 10th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, on this August 10th, I just want to begin by wishing my brother a happy 40th birthday. So happy 40th, Yoni. Happy birthday. Jill, it's also an important date today that we're marking in terms of how much sunshine we'll be seeing in the Northern Hemisphere in certain parts for the rest of the year. That's right. This is going to be the last 8 p.m. sunset in New York City uh, for quite a while. So enjoy it, everybody. Yeah, you know, these days move so quickly. We get the peak sunshine end of June and then already in July and now in August, the days are slowly becoming darker. You won't see a post 8 p.m. sunset at this latitude again till next May. And I know that we have been following the moves in Congress related to daylight saving time. That's not really changing anytime soon. <laughs> they talk a big game, Mosh, but they're not going to do anything about it. Daylight saving time, by the way, it officially ends on November 5th, on Sunday, November 5th. So we do have some time before we're talking about, you know, darkness at 4.30 p.m. All right. So let's make these next couple of months count, everybody. Okay, let's get to some headlines. Hawaii burning. Fires on Maui Island have killed at least six people and destroyed tons of businesses and historical sites. Finally, some good news from Haiti. An American kidnap there has been freed, but the situation on the ground is still really concerning. The FBI kills a Utah man after he allegedly threatened President Biden ahead of a visit. Overseas tensions growing as Poland sending 2,000 troops to reinforce its border with Belarus. We haven't talked about supply chain issues in a while, so I guess we're due. A pileup forming at the Panama Canal, all thanks to a drought. And a story that is definitely not getting enough attention. Scientists don't know why so many kids are going into puberty early, a number that has skyrocketed during the pandemic. And finally, we've got a winner of the more than $1 billion Mega Millions jackpot. We'll tell you where that winning ticket was sold. And Jill, because of where it was sold, this person will not be able to remain anonymous either. Bad for them. Good for us. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> They're still rich. They're still much richer than we are. And Moshe has on this day in history. Jill, a big day in museum history, uh, including, we'll tell you the origins of the Smithsonian. It was an interesting... Uh, provision in one man's will. Okay, let's start with those wildfires burning out of control across parts of Hawaii. The mayor of Maui County says six people have died in the fires and thousands have been forced to evacuate. In some cases, residents had to temporarily flee into the ocean to try to escape the flames and they were later rescued. The fires are being fueled by strong and damaging winds from Hurricane Dora, which is a Category 4 storm. It's passing about 500 miles south of Hawaii, close enough to create major winds, but too far to drop any rain on the island. The winds make fighting the fires that much harder because helicopters can't really dump water from the sky. Maui has been particularly hard hit. There are two areas. Lahaina is a tourist and residential area in West Maui, and Kula is a more residential area in the inland mountainous region. Homes and businesses in the historic Lahaina town have been destroyed, and getting any type of information has been really tough for tourists and locals, and that's because there have been these huge power blackouts down cellular lines and phone lines, and also 911 has been down in many areas. 
About 2,000 people were stuck at um, the airport in Maui with either canceled flights or just nowhere to really go. Uh, Many sheltering in place. And that's because highways on the island are still closed. And if you look at the images uh, and hear some of the sound from people in the area, it has been described as apocalyptic. Yeah, the scenes look like out of a war zone, Jill. We put up some aerials on the Instagram account just showing block after block after block after block of complete destruction. Uh, This part of Lahaina on this western edge of Maui had about 12,000 residents. There is almost nothing left in this town. The governor of Hawaii is expecting a presidential disaster declaration um, as uh, officials try to get a better sense of the scope of the damage. They were still waiting for some of the fires to get put out. And of course, as you mentioned, the winds are um, so strong that at times it's hard to fly up there. But they are still engaged in a search and rescue effort. Officials warn that that six-person death toll could go up as they find out more. Phone lines were down across the island. The 911 services we're also down across the island, making it very hard to get in touch with people to make sure they're okay. Officials on the island said that they've lost a large part of their heritage. People who've been to this part of Maui uh, know that it's known for this 150-year-old banyan tree, the oldest tree um, in Hawaii. Uh, initial footage looks like it was burned significantly, but may still survive. We'll see. But as far as the buildings are concerned, complete destruction, the uh, historic Wyola Church, the neighboring Lahaina Mission Temple established in the early 1800s, that was actually the resting place for the early royal family for the Kingdom of Hawaii, uh, completely burned. Hospitals were overwhelmed in Maui. First, they don't have that much capacity, so that meant that they had to fly some of the victims, burn victims, etc., smoke inhalation victims, to uh, the uh, island of Oahu. That's where Honolulu is based. But they're also dealing with power outages, down power lines from these heavy winds. And there have been some uh, fires that have broken out on the big island as well uh, that has led to some evacuations, power outages, but nothing like we've seen uh, on the island of Maui so far. Okay, now to a different island, this one in the Caribbean. Let's talk about what is going on in Haiti. We learned Wednesday that an American nurse Alex Dorsainville and her young daughter have been released after they were kidnapped two weeks ago. She was an aid worker on the island. She is married to a Haitian. Armed men had taken her at gunpoint from a clinic where she was working in this gang-controlled area of Port-au-Prince. The nonprofit Christian group uh, was offering medical care, education, and other basic services to people in the country's poorest areas. It was actually founded by her husband, and the group asked that neither she nor her family be contacted as they recover from this horrible ordeal. No other details were given immediately, uh, including whether any ransom was paid, which tends to be kind of the MO here with with these gangs. Uh, They do these kidnappings looking for money. The U.S. State Department has thanked its Haitian and other partners for facilitating the release. But this all really speaks to the escalating violence in this country of about 11 million people. On Tuesday, the U.S. Embassy in Haiti said that it was actually going to close down because of nearby gunfire. Embassy staff is being restricted to the compounds until further notice and travel between the compounds also banned. Uh, So let's back up a bit, though, and take a look at the big picture here. Haiti, for decades, has suffered from political crises and natural disasters. Of course, you probably remember that earthquake back in 2010 that killed 250,000 people. 
But the biggest problem right now is that there is literally no elected government and the country is being overrun by gangs. Back in 2021, the Haitian president, Jovenel Moise, was assassinated. And since then, gangs have taken control of up to 80 percent of Port-au-Prince. They've created this war zone on the ground. People are literally scared to leave their houses out of fear that they'll get shot raped or kidnapped. And I found this statistic to be absolutely incredible. The UN says that there have been more civilians killed in Haiti than in Ukraine in the first four months of this year. And UNICEF says that there's been this alarming spike in kidnappings, about 300 confirmed so far this year, about three times what what they were seeing just a couple of years ago. Yeah, just total chaos in the in the capital there you're describing in Port-au-Prince, which is the main city. At the same time, it appears some Haitians have had enough. Thousands took to the streets this week to demand security, safety from months of unchecked gang violence, though notably the protesters had to cover their faces to protect their identities because they're scared of retribution from these gangs. The people saying they can't leave their homes anymore. They can't go out. They can't work. The gangs own the streets. The U.N. Refugee Agency says that more than 70,000 people have fled Haiti in the last year. Honestly, that's probably an underestimate given the number of Haitians who are showing up on the U.S. southern border, as well as those who are traveling by sea to Florida. The U.N. saying that nearly half of Haiti's population that's still there need humanitarian assistance and urge the international community to do more to restore stability there. Jill, you mentioned also there's no functioning government in Haiti. This is pretty incredible. So there was the president who was assassinated in 2021. Uh, There's a de facto prime minister, Ariel Henry, uh, but he has no real authority. Significantly, the parliament is effectively empty right now. Since January, not a single democratically elected official is serving in the Haitian government or parliament, just completely bare bones empty. Uh, Most of the mayors have been replaced recently as well. And so that de facto prime minister uh, said last fall, hey, can we get some foreign military intervention here? Because like I can't control my own country. The U.N. Security Council is still debating this uh, and debating what to do about it. In late July, Kenya actually offered a multinational police force to help try to bring uh, calm to Haiti. But the U.N. still needs a vote on a resolution to authorize that specific mission. Uh, It appears they're dragging their feet here. But very concerning, the details we're getting from Haiti. Jill, I know this is a story that you and I have been talking about for a while because it's so close to U.S. shores uh, and for so long has been the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere always dealing with levels of instability, but nothing like what we've seen in the last couple of years, which is gangs literally running the streets there. It's just so sad when when I listen to some of those sound bites with parents who, who are literally scared for their kids to even leave their homes. And there are some people who are trying to fight back. They're actually handing out machetes to people to say, let's do something so we could take back our streets so we can live again. And we've been hearing from some people in the Haitian expat community. There's more than a million Haitian Americans in the U.S. Uh, Half of them live in Florida, actually. And so, you know, there's been discussions, especially with all the Haitians in New York, as well as those in Florida, about what they can do to help, you know, their friends, their family, uh, et cetera, who are back there in Haiti, really left right now to fend for themselves. All right, we have a lot more to get to in the podcast. But first, we want to note that this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I'm really pumped to have them on board, given how much we talk about 
the importance of mental health on this podcast. Getting over that threshold to talk to a therapist can be tough for many people. I know it was for me, depending on how you grew up and the view of therapy within your community, within your family, but talking to someone really helps. I know it helped me get through some major blocks, get some clarity on things happening in my life, how to process them, how to move forward. And so we're very glad to have BetterHelp as a sponsor here at Mo News. And they have a deal right now for the Mo News community. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a questionnaire and then you're immediately attached to a licensed therapist. So let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. You can visit betterhelp.com slash mosh, M-O-S-H, to get 10% off your first month. That is betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash mosh, M-O-S-H. And now to another sponsor that we love here on the Mo News Podcast. Bowl and Branch has made the summer of record heat a bit easier with some really soft and breathable sheets. We first got them in our house a bit earlier this year and have absolutely been loving them. Bowl and Branch, that is B-O-L-L and Branch sheets. They are made with organic cotton and without those harsh chemicals that are used by a lot of other brands. And the sheets actually get softer with every wash. Jill, I can attest to that. Alex and I have been loving ours uh, now going on almost a year. We just got another set and looking to expand uh, Bowl and Branch's reach to our nursery as well. Right now, they are offering a special deal to the Mo News community. You can get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code Mo News at bowlandbranch.com. So that is bowlandbranch, B O L L A N D branch.com. Promo code Mo News, M O N E W S. Exclusions do apply. So see the site for details. Time now for the speed read from NBC News. The FBI on Wednesday shot and killed a Utah man who allegedly made online threats to kill President Biden and other top Democrats. They shot him while they were serving the man a search and arrest warrant at his home. The investigation involved the suspect making alleged threats against politicians and public figures. This is according to the charging documents. The suspect was identified um, as Craig Robertson. On Monday, he made a thread on Facebook referencing Biden's trip to Utah this week, saying that he needed to prepare his camouflage and sniper rifle. Robertson had the, quote, intent to kill at a minimum New York District Attorney Alvin Bragg and President Joe Biden. Again, according to those charging documents, Robertson's threat to Bragg included calling him a political hack linked to George Soros and plotting to assassinate him in a parking garage. Many of these threats are are through Facebook. The charging documents said that Robertson mentioned many other politicians, including New York Attorney General Letitia James, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland, and California Governor Gavin Newsom. These Facebook posts are really something. We posted several on our Instagram feed. I mean, literally him just making open threats, talking about loading his gun, talking about killing the president repeatedly. And this goes back months Also, several of the posts uh, have him goading the FBI, saying, the FBI, hey, I know you're watching me. I'm going to kill the president. So a reminder, of course, that we do have freedom of speech in this country, but there are limits on that in terms of making open threats. So clearly the FBI was onto this. And with President Biden landing in Utah yesterday, visiting today, uh, they clearly wanted to do something about it. Now, the details of what unfolded, Jill, still unclear. The FBI has put out a very simple statement saying it is reviewing an agent-involved shooting that occurred at 6.15 a.m. The incident began when special agents attempted to serve arrest and search warrants at a residence. The subject is deceased. 
So the FBI says they're reviewing this incident. They have the inspection division that goes over what took place. No agents were injured, but still the details of what unfolded, who opened the door, what led to them killing him, um, still unclear at this point, but it does appear based on his social media that uh, you know he was waiting for this sort of thing and, and goading them. And he did have quite an arsenal, according to the uh, charging documents, of guns in his home. Let's head overseas from Reuters. Poland will send 2,000 troops to its front with Belarus as a way to stem illegal crossings and maintain stability. That is twice the number that was actually requested by the border guard. Poland has been increasingly worried about the border area since hundreds of battle-hardened Wagner mercenaries arrived in Belarus last month at the invitation of President Alexander Lukashenko. Belarus started military exercises near the border this week. And Lukashenko said several times that he is restraining Wagner fighters who want to attack Poland. Yeah, he's trying to hold them back from creating an international war, apparently. Um, Keep in mind here, Poland, a NATO country. Uh, If you attack Poland, you're essentially attacking France, the U.S., the U.K., Germany. Uh, They would all come in here and this could escalate into effectively a world war. So it is unclear here what Putin and Lukashenko and the Wagner Group have in mind as they continue to mess along the Polish border. But Poland is taking this seriously. At the same time, one of the issues they're also facing is the number of migrants coming across the border. They have said several times, Belarus, stop funneling Middle Eastern and African migrants through Belarus into Poland. They've effectively been calling that a proxy war, saying that Belarus and Russia are trying to destabilize Poland by sending through all these migrants. So on multiple fronts here, you have a situation. And so while we continue to monitor the war in Ukraine, the Russian invasion there, the Ukrainian counteroffensive, there continues to be a bit of funny business happening over in Belarus, close allies with Russia, on the Polish border, whether they're trying to get Poland into the war here, trying to instigate some sort of conflict, is the concern. And that's why we're keeping close tabs on this. All right. We haven't talked about supply chain issues in a while, but there is a situation that we're watching that could create delays for global shipping. This story from CNBC, the number of vessels waiting to cross the Panama Canal has now reached 154. Slots for carriers to book passage are being reduced in an effort to manage congestion caused by the ongoing drought conditions that have impacted the major shipping gateway. The current wait time to cross the canal, now about 21 days. The Panama Canal is a critical trade link for U.S. shippers heading to Gulf and East Coast ports. The U.S. is the largest user of the Panama Canal, making up about 73% of the traffic. 40% of all U.S. container traffic travels through the canal every year. We're talking about $270 billion in cargo. Yeah, so it's hard to track this stuff individually. But, you know, if you have a package coming or you're doing some major move, etc., it could conceivably travel through the Panama Canal. So something to keep in mind here. The massive pileup is a result of water conservation measures that the Panama Canal Authority is uh, deploying right now due to this drought. So they've lowered the availability of booking slots for some of the larger vessels. They're also requiring vessels to be much lighter due to less water. So that means that several ships have had to unload thousands of containers onto land in order to make it through and then reload them on the other side of the canal. Of course, that delays the entire process here. So experts are saying that vessels will either wait longer or find different routes, which could add time because the other route is going all the way around South America or putting 
some of your shipments aboard trains and have them go landbound. But ultimately here, this could lead to delays uh, for some things, as well as costs being passed down to businesses and consumers. So something we should uh, continue to monitor. But it does give you a sense, Jill, that when we talk about these temperatures uh, and talk about climate change sometimes, but just talk about major weather events, the economic impact that these events have um, is sometimes you can't even grasp. And so you're like, well, I don't understand why the rainfall here or the flooding here or the drought here impacts the prices uh, at the grocery store, the prices at the pump, or why my things aren't available. But all of this stuff is interconnected in this global economy of ours. Moshe, I don't know what's worse, the drought or the ever given, which was too big to, to go across the Suez Canal. The drought, we had very little control over. The ever given just happened to be, you know, someone was, we still haven't found out the details there on why that ship got stuck, but that appeared to be human error, Jill. So I'll go with correcting human error over praying for rain any time of day. All right, now to a story um, that is definitely not getting enough attention from Time Magazine. Early puberty soared during the pandemic and scientists don't know why. Italy noticed it first. It was the first country to lock down during the COVID-19 pandemic. And later in 2020, researchers at an Italian children's hospital were the first to point out a puzzling trend. More young girls than ever had been showing up at the hospital with clear signs of early onset puberty. The cases weren't unique, but their frequency was. Since early onset, or it's called precocious puberty, first gained widespread clinical attention in the 1990s, it has become steadily more common worldwide. Early onset puberty is defined by the start of puberty, things like vocal changes or other signs of biological maturity in girls who are eight or younger and boys nine or younger. And researchers have just not been able to attribute the rise in this early onset puberty to a single cause. But there has been this mysterious pandemic-generated spike in cases in Italy and beyond. And that has provided experts with a new opportunity to revisit some dominant theories. For example, case studies have now rolled in from clinics around the world, many of which saw at least two or three-fold increases after March of 2020, which is the start of the pandemic. In China, for example, doctors at 22 facilities saw five times more cases in 2020 than they did in 2018. So there's no conclusive answer about what causes premature development, though research has shown uh, links to stress, trauma, poor diets, lack of exercise, tied to weight gain, that all could play a role. Jill, all things that many people were experiencing during the pandemic, stress, trauma, poor diets, lack of exercise. Uh, and so that might be uh, one of the links here as to why they saw this uh, upsurge even beyond what we've been seeing in recent years. Time Magazine speaks to one pediatric endocrinologist who says that parents sometimes ask about another possible cause, whether chemicals in our food, environment, and everyday items are affecting the production and expression of hormones in our body. And although they might play a role, uh, the endocrinologist says that the studies haven't found a, a complete link between those chemicals and the early arrival of puberty. But that certainly is one of the leading theories here. Um, and Jill, it's not just an issue of uh, premature puberty. Apparently, there is a link that in later years, children who experience puberty early are at higher risk for diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and certain reproductive cancers. Now, when it does come to early puberty, uh, they are able to sometimes treat with hormonal puberty blockers, especially when they arrive very early, when some kids as, as early as six or seven sometimes. 
Precocious puberty, as it's called, is most often diagnosed in girls uh, simply because puberty in girls is more visible. Um, you mentioned some of some of the down the road impacts, but some of these doctors say that early development and early puberty can have a, a real emotional impact on young people. For example, the idea of growing breasts, that's a public thing. And developing early could mean, as they say, a minefield of unwanted attention. First and second graders, uh, according to the doctor interviewed in Time Magazine, not really mature enough to handle this type of body change. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not one of you TMI, but I remember when I first got my period, when I think I was in sixth grade or seventh grade, it's a lot. It's a lot to go through. Uh, and I couldn't imagine doing that in second grade. Yeah, definitely something that deserves a lot more research, Jill. And uh, as they try to get to the bottom of these uh, chemical factors, the environmental factors, the food factors here, as to why it wasn't just during COVID, but we've been seeing this trend line now for a couple decades. All right, from USA Today, a number of Verizon Communications legacy plans are about to get more expensive. Starting during the upcoming September billing cycle, customers on legacy unlimited postpaid wireless plans like Go Unlimited, Beyond Unlimited, Above Unlimited, and Start 1.0 will be charged an extra $3 a month, while the single base phone plan will go up by about $5 a month. And this follows an April price hike for various Verizon wireless plans that tacked on about 2 bucks per month per line. Jill, it's just a couple dollars a month, but when you look at it annually, that's another $30 or $40, depending on your plan or more. Uh, and we've been talking about inflation and costs and yesterday credit card debt. So uh, we did hear from people in the last 24 hours say, saying that, you know, this is going to force me to eventually look for a, a cheaper alternative. Keep in mind, AT&T also raised their rates recently for some of their plans by more than $2 per month. Now, Verizon says officially that these price hikes will help them improve their network and services. Uh, Jill, the bottom line is the bottom line, which is They've seen slower customer growth, both Verizon and AT&T, uh, slower customer growth when you look at 2022 over 2023. Um, one of the carriers that is growing, T-Mobile, incidentally, um, while Verizon and AT&T have seen less in terms of subscriber gains. So they're, you know, like we've seen across the board, they're gaining less uh, among new subscribers. So they're going to take their current subscribers and try to make a little more money off of them. And now to somebody who definitely does not need to worry about their phone plan going up by a couple of dollars. There is a winner from NBC Jacksonville. The winning ticket in Tuesday's $1.58 billion Mega Millions drawing was sold at a Publix grocery store in Neptune Beach, Florida. The prize was the largest in Mega Millions history. And now everyone is just waiting for the winner to come forward. Prizes must be claimed within 180 days of the drawing in person at Florida Lottery Headquarters in Tallahassee, even if the person who bought the ticket is from out of state. Now, if the winner wants the single payment cash option, they need to claim it within 60 days of the drawing. Jill, they don't need to worry about their uh, cell phone plan, but they do need to worry about all the phone calls. They might have to change their number, frankly, once their name is public, because it turns out you know, every state is different. But in Florida, lottery winners are not allowed to remain anonymous. Because of the size of the prize, they will be exempt from public disclosure for about 90 days. But we will eventually find out who this person is. I imagine if they're smart right now, they're calling their accountant, their lawyers, uh, and actually figuring out who their cousins are. Because many people soon enough will be claiming to have some sort of family linked to them. 
In the meantime, though, what we do know is the Publix and Neptune Beach sold the winning ticket. They're going to receive a $100,000 bonus for selling that ticket. And now the money gets reset. There was no winner from April until this week. The next drawing of Mega Millions, not a shabby $20 million, but certainly not $1.5 billion. All right, now time for On This Day in History, your daily nutritional historical supplement. And this week, it's brought to you by what should be your daily nutritional supplement. Athletic Greens AG1 is our sponsor this week. We all know how hard it is to get all your nutrients. But one way to get the important ones is using the AG1 powder. It's easy. It's quick. Just with a glass of water in the morning, it lets you get on with your day, knowing you've gotten 75 important ingredients, tons of vitamins and minerals, pre and probiotics to support digestion, gut health. I first started taking it last fall. They're offering right now a special deal to the Monus community, and I'll tell you about that at the end of this segment. All right, we're going to begin on August 10th, 1776, Jill, because it was on this day, five weeks after we declared independence in the U.S., that London first learned about it. It arrived via sailboat, 3,500 miles from Philly to London, so it took five weeks for the Brits to find out, for King George to find out, wait, they're declaring independence on me? I thought this was just a local thing in Massachusetts. I guess they didn't have the Mo News Instagram account back then. (laughs) Jill, it really is incredible how lucky we are. We take for granted how immediate information is these days. Um, And that like literally the King of England waited five weeks to find out what the Americans were going to do about independence. All right, staying in the 18th century, the Louvre opened in Paris on this day in 1793, later becoming the most visited museum in the world. And it's a museum themed on this day, Jill, because on this day in 1846, just about 50 years later, the Smithsonian Institution was founded in D.C. by Congress with funds bequeathed by an English scientist named James Smithson. And this is all thanks to a peculiar footnote in his will. In the event that his only nephew died without any heirs, Smithson decreed that the whole of his estate would go to the U.S. to found a institution called the Smithsonian Institution for the establishment for the increase and diffusion of knowledge. So his nephew had no heirs, and James Smithson would give all his money for the creation of the Smithsonian, which if you visit them today, there's more than a dozen Smithsonian museums in a whole variety of categories in D.C. and Northern Virginia. All right, we're going to fast forward to the 20th century for our last item here. 30 years ago today, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was sworn in as an Associate Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. She became the second woman ever to serve on the court. She would serve for just about 27 years until she died in 2020. Though, Jill, if you're ever in Brooklyn... They still are selling the notorious RBG t-shirts, mugs, and all the paraphernalia in a number of gift shops here. I have a um, notorious RBG baby book. Never too young to to start teaching the next generation. Do you think your daughter has it in her to be an associate justice in the Supreme Court? She is still at the age where she wants to be a Barbie or a princess, so I don't think we're there yet. (laughs) She does say that she wants to be a podcaster. And finally, a bit of music history on this day, 39 years ago, August 10th, 1984, the Red Hot Chili Peppers released their debut studio album. That one had no real hits on it, nor did their second album or their third album or really their fourth album, Jill. But they kept at it. Finally, the early 90s with their fifth album, you start to get some of their bigger hits in history. The Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, really working through uh, their kinks until they really started to hit the next level 
in the 90s. That's so interesting, though, that they they had just the grit to keep going, because I feel like we talk about all of these artists and their first album out is a hit. And they people knew right away that they were going to be stars. Kind of cool to hear about a group that just didn't really have a lot of hits, but just kept making music. I mean, they had this underground following that started with them, but they were still pretty small. They weren't even breaking into the Billboard 200 um, with those first few albums, Jill. But, you know, it it just was interesting because whenever I find these on this day, I'm like, oh, I wonder what songs was, uh, you know, were on this album that came out on this day. And I was like, I don't really recognize these or the next album or the next album. So I imagine if you're a hardcore Chili Peppers person, you're going to come at me and be like, well, X song was really great. But I'm just saying that as far as kind of the, the larger pop culture, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, etc., it really takes them a few tries uh, before they really start to become well-known. All right, as we conclude here on this day in history, a reminder that was brought to you by AG1, and they have a special deal right now on their daily nutritional supplement. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D, five free travel packs of AG1. You can go right now to drinkag1.com slash monews. That is drinkag, the number one, dot com slash mo news to take advantage of this offer where you can get a discounted monthly subscription try it just one time for one month again drink ag the number one dot com slash mo news all right we want to thank you for listening to the mo news podcast if you like what you hear please share this with your friends tell them about us it will really uh, help us out and help us grow follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode review us in the app store uh, we would really appreciate it and send us ideas, uh, questions you have. Uh, we obviously want to continue uh, to build this podcast, but it's for you. So if there are certain topics you'd like us to delve into, please send it our way. You can DM uh, the Mo News Instagram account. You can uh, DM Jill over at Jill R. Wagner. You can also leave us a voicemail on the hotline, 1-800-711-MOSH, M-O-S-H. That is 1-800-711-MOSH. Leave your name. Say hi. Leave us a question. We'll play your audio on an upcoming podcast. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.